Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast about disrupting your life to spark new evolution. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now it's time to disrupt. And we're live. Miles, you look especially cool tonight. Yeah, this is the this is the Miles cool. The other one, I just I kept looking at myself going, ah, that guy's not working. Well, I was wondering why at eight o'clock in uh, Oberlin, Ohio time, you were sitting there with your sunglasses and your beanie on. Were you cold? And, uh, and I, I just some... I, I actually just got in. You know, I was running around okay. doing some okay. stuff with Tiago and his mom. You looked like you, you were know. running around with those sunglasses on, running yeah, into running stuff or anything. Well, now this is you don't you don't know this about me. Um, I know everything about you at this point. Now you, is you're going to be a little shocked. So okay. years ago, before I got to um, Utah, I was poked deeply in the eye, like deeply. I remember and this story. I, You've told me this story, and I didn't have to go to the doctor or anything like that. But what happens is. Whenever it snows and the sun is out, I get these dots, like literally, and I have to really squint because I, you know, I have, you know, I have the collection of sunglasses, yeah. but I'm not really a, a sunglass collection. guy. Yeah, I'm not a sunglass guy like to wear them inside. And, but if it snows and the sun is out and I'm driving, I have to wear the sunglasses. The glare is literally, I'm squinting the whole time. So, you know, we still have like two feet of snow outside. I was out and I just came in kind of late and I just started setting everything up and preparing and I just never took that other stuff off. So. Well, so, I, you know, it's funny you bring this up. I don't know if we need to shift to talk about old age and memory because uh, you've actually told me that stuff before. So I think your age is catching up to you. But what I did want to talk about was this did, idea did of just, sunshine. Did you just, my age? Age is just go there? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. But let's talk sunshine because, you know, at this time of the year in most of the world, we don't get enough sunshine. And I was thinking about this today, the benefits of not just the vitamin D that we get from the sun, which we don't get a lot of it in where, where I live and I think where you live. But when the sunshine is out, it's important to get out in the sun and to get the sun on our eyes because it does help with that circadian rhythm and helps us to uh, with our sleep-wake cycle. My question to you is, what what are you doing? Are you getting outside during the day? Are you getting the sunshine? Oh, yeah. Are you yeah. staying like, hold up in uh, in front of your piano? No, 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 no. If, if the, first, before I go on and answer this question, you know, you attack my age, and I'm going to say something that's really kind of strange and ironic. Since you're beating up my age, I hope you don't get to my age. How's that? <laughs> that is the harshest thing you've ever said to me. How's that? That'll, that'll <laughs> save you from all of the deterioration. Thank All you. Right? Thank you. I hope you don't yeah. get there. That's but, like telling um, somebody to go to hell right now. Right now. Yeah, that's uh, that's the most <laughs> passive aggressive go to hell I've had uh, in the last hour. Yeah, and the only reason why I didn't tell you to go to hell because you'd meet too many people down there and you'd have fun. That's true. That is. I'd true. rather have you in heaven, lonely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What do you do no, to um, get outside? The, the, do you get outside? This is something I struggle with lot. in the winter time, you know. And I, I, I try, I try to take a break and go for a walk. I did that earlier today, 
Uh, and then it dawned on me that it's been a while since I've gotten out during the day to go for a walk during the week, right? Well, if it, if we didn't have the as much snow as we did, I mean, I still go out with the snow. But um, I remember conversations we had, you and I had last year, and we were talking about the vitamin D. And I have a good friend, Damon, who always says to get out mm. and don't stare at the sun, but look in its direction. Yep, yep. Because that's the most powerful form of with your eyes getting the vitamin D. So anyway, but I, I always go out, you know, because I have this little place out back where I could just go out and hang out. And again, if the snow is still powdery and white, um, I'll put on some sunglasses, but that's not all the time. So for the most part, I do get out. I, I get out. That's important. I try to get as much right? sun as possible. You got to get yeah. that sunshine. I think it's it's important to get out and go for a walk. Um, you know, it, it, walking is one of the most beneficial things we can do for our health. And did you know that when you walk, the way that your body is supposed to function is that on your heel strike, when your heel strikes the ground, you should be activating in your glute medius and glute max, or excuse me, glute medius and glute uh, minimus. Minimus. Yes. And I really totally screwed that one up. But glute med, glute min, that's how I always uh, cut it down. And tonight we have an amazing guest that's going to be on talking about glute training. Now, this is the thing that every woman on Instagram, TikTok wants to look and feel like they've got the perfect glutes. Every guy ignores it on National Chest Day, which is Mondays, uh, but they should be doing all of these exercises. But tonight, Miles, we've got Shelby Castleton joining us. And we're going to have a great conversation with her about that. So we're really excited. And with that, folks, we do want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve podcast. Joining me, as always, remotely, sometimes wearing a beanie and his sunglasses in Oberlin, Ohio, the most interesting man that I know is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Well, I'm glad to be here, Steve. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. And in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Uh, tonight, we are joined by Shelby Castleton, who was raised in Northern California. Shelby was a music major at BYU-Idaho and then transferred to BYU-Hawaii, where she became very ill. After that, Shelby moved back to, or moved to Utah, where she met her husband. She says that I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and Hashimoto's at the age of 14 and celiac disease at the age of 20. This led to my passion for fitness and health. Uh, currently, Shelby is the studio manager and trainer at F45 in South Valley in Utah. She's an NASM certified personal trainer as well as a nutrition coach. And she currently lives in Sandy, Utah with her husband and two kids. When she's not in the gym, which Shelby, I think this is probably not very often, right? You're in the gym most of the time. She loves camping, hiking, traveling, and exploring with her beautiful family. Shelby Castleton, welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, we're excited to have you. And I want to jump right in uh, to one of the reasons why, I guess kind of the main reason why I had to invite you on the podcast. I need to brag about you for just a second. There was a day where I was in the gym and I can't even remember what I was doing. And I look over and I see this barbell that was stacked with weights. And then I see you get down and get underneath this thing and start doing these barbell hip thrusts. 
And I'm blown away by the amount of weight that you were doing at the time. And I literally just shrank and <laughs> walked away. And I thought, there's, I, I'm not even at half that weight on a barbell hip thrust. I mean, you were probably hip thrusting what I'm deadlifting. It was <laughs> absolutely unbelievable. And I went and crawled in my hole afterwards. Uh, but talk about that. I mean, you've really become quite the expert on not only strength training, but specifically training for lower body strength and glutes and hip strength. Talk about what led you in this direction. Yeah, so I, yeah, I definitely have gotten the itch and the passion for it. I um, had to have double wrist surgery. And so I was kind of freaking out as a trainer, like, well, how am I going to train? Because mm, I'm addicted yeah. to training and, you know, I, I'm always in the gym and, you know, I was just like, probably crying to my husband, like, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? You know, I have to take months off of training. And, and then he was like, no, you don't. And I'm like, wait, yeah, you're right. I don't, I can, I'm going to focus on lower body. I mean, I always enjoyed, you know, leg day or whatnot, but I was like, I'm going to really dive in. And then I became more familiar with hip thrusting and became like obsessed with it. And mm -hmm. would see these girls that were hip thrusting five, six, 700 pounds. And I was like, I'm going to do that. So I just started, you know, slowly adding in the weight and getting to the point where I was thrusting three times a week is what I do and, um, got it up to, uh, I got a little bit of an injury, but it wasn't from hip. Thing. It was something else. And, but I was up to around 400 pounds. So my goal, um, is 500 within the next, let's see, we're going on February, March, April. So in the next three months or so, I want to add another hundred pounds. So we'll, we'll see, but I mean, that's unbelievable weight. I was reading back through a blog that I had written a while back. Um, I made it sustained some knee injury um, a few years ago doing some stupid stuff. And I worked myself back up to where I was doing over 300 pounds on my deadlift. And it took me a long, that was a long, long road to get to that point. And I think about the weight of like moving over 300 pounds at my size is, that's not an easy thing. And you're talking about 400 pound hip thrusts. That's unbelievable to me. I mean, just mind boggling. I, I and I'm, I'm sure you probably don't remember this day where I was just shocked and crawled into my hole, but what, what do you think the weight was that you were training with around that time? Um, at that point, I probably had around 360 loaded. I want to wow. say. So I do, I do remember that day though. I remember you stopping me and and just being like, I just have to say something. And I appreciate that. Like, yeah. So that was, that was cool to have you stop me and, and say something. So, well, I remember like, I, I saw you and I was like, I, okay, I know you from somewhere and which I couldn't, I couldn't make that connection. And then we made the connection that we know each other that I, I had actually hired you back in the day to work in the child center. And I'm like, okay, now I remember you now that we made that connection. Wow. Like that was, uh, both, mind-blowing, inspirational, and uh, super humbling all at the same time, because I'm not even deadlifting close to that. And so the fact that you're hip thrusting, that was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and I think the most I've ever hip thrusted was about 195. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It's, 
pretty fun. And it, it does make me feel pretty powerful, especially when men approach me and are like, whoa, like how yeah. in the hell are you doing that? And, you know, it's like, girl, we can lift heavy too. We, a lot of times we can lift heavier than some of the men. So, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. And, you know, I've had men tell me like in the gym before, oh, you know, the 10 pounds are down there. Okay. So so it just feels good as a woman to be like, no, we belong in the weight room too. We're not, you know, we're not just here for cardio and to be as, you know, it always was to be the smallest you could be, but no, I want to be the strongest I can be. I I want muscle. I I'm not looking for skinny. I'm looking for strength. So once I flipped that in my mind, like not to be the smallest version of myself, but to be the absolute strongest, it's a complete mental shift. Well, you bring up a great point. And I and people can watch this podcast on the podcast up or the podcasting apps, but that's not necessarily gonna show um what I'm what I'm about to talk about. If somebody walked up to you and they met you, they would not look at you and say, Wow, here's this uh, really bodybuilding looking woman, right? But there's this common misconception that this idea of lifting heavy is going to turn you into this ultra masculine, ultra bearded woman, uh, sideshow freak at the, uh, at the carnival. Um, talk about what, what it was that helped you to make that shift towards lifting heavy, because it, it is a, I, I mean, and Miles talks about this. He's talked about this on the podcast before women will tell us time and time again in fitness, I don't want to lift heavy because I don't want to look like a bodybuilder. And you don't, if people met you and they saw you walking down the road with your, with your uh, kids there, nobody's coming up to you and saying, what's up, dude. Right. Yeah. And so, at, yeah, as a fitness professional, it is oh, like, you just want to hit yourself in the head when women say that to you, because, you know, as you know, muscle takes up less space than fat. So yeah, it's more dense. Are, yeah. The stronger you get, the smaller you are going to get. Mm-hmm. You're, that fat is going to, you know, you're going to replace that and it's going to just, you're going to be toned. If people want that toned look, you have to have muscle to look toned. If yeah. you just lose body fat, you're still going, you can still have that soft girl say skinny fat. I don't love that term, but they call it that. And, but to get that tone look where you're going to see, you know, those curves and that muscle, you need muscle to be toned. And so girls will come to me and say, I want to be toned. You know, I want to grow my glutes. I want to grow this area. And it's like, okay, well, we need to get out of that 1200 calorie deficit. You need Mm. to be at maintenance or in a slight surplus if you want to put on muscle and we're going to lift heavy and that's going to change your body. You're going to see that recomp and it's going to blow you away. And you're going to be so happy. It's like, it's like telling women, to add to your 1200 uh, calorie deficit. It's the other, and the other thing is you got to get out of that 1200 calorie deficit mentality and picking up those little tiny green weights. Oh, 100%. (laughs) And the crazy thing like this is, I did a post one time about this was I, so I'm the same weight. I'm around 148. And um, so probably seven, eight years ago, I I've always been around that, but, um, back then I was, um, let's see five pants size bigger 
Oh than my I gosh. Can now. <laughs> Five. Really? Five. Yeah. So I right, like, yeah. So I'm about a zero two and I was a eight ten back then, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's I think every size is beautiful. I'm you know, mm. but it just kind of shows you that you can weigh the same women get so and men, they focus on the scale and you know, it's not about the scale because the scale can look exactly the same, but with body recomposition, your body can look completely different. So yeah. I always try to remind, you know, my clients don't focus on the scale. There's so many other, we're going to measure, we're going to take pictures. There's so many other ways to track that progress. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that for the people in the back, as they say, you know, there, the scale has become the single factor that people measure themselves on. But when, when you're setting a goal in life, business, person, you know, fitness, whatever it is, the goal has then got to be tracked in ways that are uh, relevant and specific. It always blows me away. For instance, if I talk to somebody that wants to develop their wealth or when I did a lot of business consulting, um, they wanted to make more money in their business, but yet the things that they were tracking had no relevance to what they were trying to accomplish. And for most people, it's not really about that number on the scale, but it's about how they look or how they feel. So talk about some of the ways that you have tracked that might be different than just the scale. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. Like I said, measurements are a huge thing because you can be losing inches and the scale might not move, but you still are seeing that. Also, pictures are a great way. A lot yeah. of people, I have clients that the first thing I tell them to do is we're going to take pictures so that we can progress pictures throughout. And they hate it and they don't want to do it. But there's a lot of times the scale, again, might not be moving, but they can see it. They can feel it in their clothes. Um, another one outside of like look and stuff, sleep is a big one. Mm, yeah. stress is a big one that's a big one um and then also just how your your happiness how you're feeling your confidence is a big one um yeah there's so many different ways besides the scale and the scale can be a useful tool depending on what your goal is um, some people can use it and it it really does depending on your goal it can be a great tool but for a lot of also, people, um, having having a uh, good grub page on Pinterest, I've kind of <laughs> I saw some of the dishes that you had up there that I know you are uh, in terms of that's like an alternative scale. You know, this is eat this, not that. Look at that. I was looking at your page and I thought, oh, some of the stuff up here is really tasty looking. <laughs> yeah, there's some really Miles good. Loves food. Yeah. Oh, I love food too, and having, you know, celiac and type one diabetes, you have to get creative. So. <laughs> yeah. But I think you, I think you bring up a, uh, several great points with this. I mean, tracking is so different based on what the goals are and far too often people get into this idea that it's all about weight loss, but yet maybe they want to have more energy. Maybe they want to have, maybe they want to look better. Maybe they want to fit into a different dress or a pant size. Um, and the scale is not the only thing. There's so many more uh, aspects of, to it. Talk about pictures. I want to go back to that for just a second, because I think that's a common overlooked thing for a lot of people, that if they're wanting to change, 
this idea of taking a picture is a horrific thing, especially for women, from my experience. They don't like taking that quote unquote before picture. Why do you think that is? I think it's just, you know, there's so much pressure for women to look a certain way. And the idea of what we're told beauty is or the correct size we need to be or just all of that is can be so mentally exhausting and draining. And then, you know, you look at yourself and it's like, man, I don't, and Instagram, I think has really started adding a lot of um, pressure to women because all these influencers and all these fitness girls and all, all of that. And so you look at their life and you're like, well, it's easy for them. I mean, look at them. They do a few workouts and they look like this. Like, why can't that happen for me? But a lot of times, a lot of that is genetic. A lot of times fitness girls, their form, oh, I want to pull my hair out and I want to scream at my phone because it's, it's genetic. A lot of these girls can have these amazing abs and great glutes and be doing exercises that are just garbage, but yeah, it's yep. they have those yep. genetics that they can easily have visible abs. And, and so I think for women, a lot of times taking those pictures can be really hard, especially, you know, for a postpartum mom who recently just had kids when, when really like in a perfect world, that would be when you feel the most amazing, like you would be so amazed by what your body just did. Yeah, that you have so right. much self-love and see how beautiful, okay. These stretch marks. Yeah. I have stretch marks, but do you know why? Because I just grew a human, like that's incredible. And that's beautiful. And I think there is a side that women are starting to, you know, show that more and try to speak out more about that, about how beautiful our bodies are and the whole idea of airbrushing our bodies and doing all of these things is so harmful to our mental health. And so a lot of women are starting to speak out, which I love, but I I think it is just hard for women to, especially when they feel like they're at their heaviest or mentally the lowest they've been to then really look in the mirror and then see a picture of themselves. I think it can be really hard for them. And so, you know, as sad as it makes me, because I've been there before too, we all have. And and so it's just hard to see the beauty. If you were looking in someone else's eyes, like you could be like, oh my gosh, you're beautiful. Like your body's beautiful, all beautiful. But when it's, you it's it's hard it's really hard to see that well i think and you you talked about genetics but i would also bring up age i mean i'm sitting here as a 45 year old guy and i look back at the body that i had when i was in my teens and 20s and that's a totally different body than what i am at uh, 45 and it takes me a lot more work and effort and detail to um, to to make progress or to keep any sort of uh, muscularity or anything at 45. And a lot of the times on social media, when somebody posts something, it's because they're young and genetically, uh, they, they, they probably just are built that way. But then there's a lot that you can do to make yourself look uh, a certain way based on camera angles, uh, I also worked in the medical spa industry for a long time, and I know that uh, certain injections in the gluteal area will grow collagen and give you a great-looking rear end without 
any work at all. And so then when you get on the uh, stair stepper and you're doing the little uh, <clears throat> stupid kickback thing and you're saying, do this to build your glutes and everybody says, oh, well, she's got great glutes. I'm going to do that. And people just follow along. Yeah. So I think lack of ed education is a big piece. But I want to go back to when you were talking about photos and this idea of loving and accepting that if somebody else looked at your photos, uh, they would probably see the beauty in it better than what you would. And I think that's a great practice. Um, when you get a client and you're having them take photos, walk through the uh, walk us through the process that you go through to help people not only see what's right in front of them, but accept and love what's right in front of them. Yeah, I think it's easy for them to this instant I say it, just be like, oh, no, 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 no. It's OK. I'll, I'll track other ways. And I'm mm. like, no, we're going to do pictures. It's OK. I just try to just walk it in their head like why are you feeling this way what are you seeing that's making you feel this way and I don't want to change everything about you but if there are areas and obviously spot reduction people think that is a real thing and it is <laughs> it is not and so they'll say well I just want to get rid of you know this area right here like what can we do to get rid of this well, we can lose body fat and we can't spot reduce your thighs. I'm sorry, but right. so I'll just really the biggest thing. And you guys probably know this is just listening, to be honest. I just listen to them and sometimes it gets really raw and emotional. And I just tell them, you know what? Well, we're going to, you're not feeling good about yourself right now. Well, we're going to build that confidence up to get you there. And so that you can see, you know, the potential that, you know, with, you may feel like, oh, I can't lift heavy, I can't do this in the gym, or I don't belong in the weight room, but I'm going to show you that you do. And you're going to be lifting a lot of weight and it's going to change you, the inside and the outside, because your confidence is going to grow. You are going to see, you know, a plus of it is your body's going to change as well. But I think mentally that's just such a more important shift in the beginning is just yeah. the confidence and yeah. knowing like, you know, when I'm not there with them, because some of my, you know, I'm not going to be in the 24 seven with every client that they have the confidence and that I have taught them to be confident in the weight room and to be standing next to that man or that woman and, and feel good and feel like they belong. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I a, tricky, it's a tricky paradox. You know, it's like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like when you read about kids who, who are abused by their parents, but the abuse comes from the parent actually saying, I love you as they're abusing the kid. Mm, yeah. and the kid associates those yeah. two things. Well, the paradox, the reference, meaning that when you're in the gym, it's how do you tell people to accept their bodies, but we're still going to change your body? Yeah, it's hard. And that's it's a that, hard. that's a fine line, a tight psychic rope that you have to walk mm -hmm. because the actions are we're going to change your body. But at the same time, you should accept who you are. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the, the the psychic dilemma that you have to excavate. Yeah. To get people to do that. That is that's a really good point, because it is very hard because we are saying self-love, self-love, but yet 
we're personal trainers. That's what we're there. But (laughs) my biggest thing is that if anything, I want you healthier. And if losing the 20, 30 pounds is going to help you be able to feel confident running around with your kids or getting on a roller coaster or any of those kind of things, I think we can focus more on that rather than just looking a certain way. Um, so I, that's kind of, because I want, I mean, yeah, no matter what size you are, I want you to be so confident in your skin and I want you to see how beautiful you are, but then there also is the health aspect. We want you to be able to do these things that you want to do and, and to be around for a lot longer, you know? So it's kind of, yeah. And I think it's almost like there's a whole, there's a whole idea of how you look, but then the other side of that is wellness. Right. 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 And wellness. Well, and I think it's mindset too. Though. Yeah. I mean, well, think it's about mindset, like, but yeah. Wellness, wellness actually doesn't have a look in terms of <clears throat> musculature and, and, and all the things we associate with, you know, like mm. how people look because it re- remember we used to do the, um, um, it was a really phenomenal um, metric. We did the My Health Score. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was a phenomenal metric because you could have people come in and do the My Health Score, and they would look up and their triglycerides were wonderful. The mm-hmm. ratio of HDL, LDL, cholesterol, everything was wonderful. They had a few pounds on them. Yeah. And I remember always having to try to convince people, you are doing well. You are well with the cosmetic stuff that we're going to try to play with to lose some weight, but you should feel good about your internal numbers because your internal numbers are telling us that you are well. And people had a rough time with that, you know, looking at the internal numbers or just numbers, but they look in the mirror at them themselves and they're like, how, how can I be well if I look like this? And and you're there, yeah. like you, you are not in line for a heart attack. You are fine. Everything is working wonderfully. Yeah. So that's a, there's always been a tough hurdle. You, I mean, you want to speak to that a little bit? No, I, I mean, I think you nailed it right on the head. I think it's, you know, we're also here to make our clients happy and to some extent change what they want to change because yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't have any clients if I sat there and said, you're beautiful just the way you are. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. So, I mean, I listen and as long as it's reasonable and then I say, okay, like then we'll get started. And you know, that's something that we can, we can do. And I mean, my main goal is to make my clients happy to a certain extent and, you know, reasonable as well. But so, yeah, it, I mean, you pretty much nailed it, but at the end of the day, we, we got to make our clients happy too to keep clients as well. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I think too, like going back to the mindset concept, I mean, DeWick talks about in all of her research uh, and when she, she wrote the book mindset about this idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I remember someone telling me at one point, they said, think about this. We think that there is a status quo. We think that when we don't do something that we're stationary, but the reality is we are moving at, um, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles per hour that the earth moves around the sun and we're spinning at the same time. So even when we think we're still, we are not still. <laughs> the world is moving, we are moving, the molecules in our body are moving. We're in a constant state of flux and that's life. 
And so having goals means that you consciously choosing you're going to move in a certain direction, right? So I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's the intent behind it. It's am I doing this because I hate my body? Am I doing this because I, I loathe who I am and what my body does and how it functions? Or am I doing it with a sense of love and compassion and desire to become a better person? I don't That's think there's point. anything wrong with that. But yeah, there point. is massive power behind having love in what we do. Now, Shelby, you brought up earlier that you had to have double wrist surgery, and that's part of what led you on this path of really digging into glute training and lower body training. I love that story. Not that you had to have the surgery, but that you looked at the obstacle in front of you and you literally said, the hell with that. I'm going to figure out a way to keep training. Talk about that mindset shift and what led you down this path. I know what the training looks like because I've seen it, but what happened in here between the ears that uh, caused you to, uh, to, to be on this path towards, what did you say, 400, 500 pounds? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, be, you know, you're going to be uh, deadlifting a thousand, hip thrusting seven. And you're gonna start. You're gonna start totally now at like two thousand pounds here at this point. That would be great. No, but that mind, that mind shift. I think really, you know, I I feel like it is normal and healthy to have that moment where you're gonna feel kind of sorry for yourself and sure, yeah, like that's normal. But then I'm I've always been more of you know, had more optimistic view as far as even with my health and all the different challenges that I've had. And it's not nearly what a lot of people have to go through. And so I think for me, it was just kind of like, okay, well, I felt sorry for myself for a little bit. And yeah, I wish I could go full out and train like I normally do, but how can I fix, what can I do so that I'm still in the gym doing what I love because even on, you know, not, not even just lifting weights, but mentally, like my escape as a mom, as everything like is the gym. And so I'm like, I'm going to go crazy at home, you know, just laying in bed. And, and so, you know, I just kind of started doing some research and I was like, well, shoot, like I can't even pick up the weights, but we have such a great little community at the gym that we go to that you know, it was kind of embarrassing at first, like all wrapped up, but being like, Hey, can you put these weights on the barbell for me? Or people would see me struggling, trying to get weights off and they'd run over and help me. And, mm. and so, you know, I just couldn't be afraid to ask or be embarrassed, but I think I just realized like, okay, I can either, yeah, I can lay in bed for however many months and feel sorry for myself and not grow or I can get out of my comfort zone and maybe be a little uncomfortable and maybe embarrass myself a little bit, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I can and ask for help when I need it and still train and, you know, be happy. So that's what I decided to do, which obviously I'm so glad I did, but that's kind of when that switch happened that, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it happen either way. So and it does take a little bit of uh, vulnerability to put yourself out there. And I think you're right. I mean, the gym that we work out mm -hmm. in is a, uh, is a very supportive place, but uh, yeah. many gyms are that way. If you, if you put in the work, people are going to be around you. And I think a lot of people think that when they walk into a gym, 
that it's a it's an intimidating place and people are judging them. And I would say after having spent a couple of, or more than a couple of decades in the gym working and uh, probably close to, you know, three decades working out in a gym, I've never been in one that wasn't supportive. I've never been in one where if I needed a spot or I needed to help with something and I asked for some, uh, asked somebody to help me, that they didn't jump in and help me. And I, I think that's what the beauty of being in that lifestyle is, is people are there to support you. So I love how you talk about just finding a way to, to actually make it happen. Now, before we jump into the next topic, because I do want to shift gears and talk a little bit about how you've overcome some of these other challenges uh, relative to diabetes and Hashimoto's, I want to stay on the training for just a second. Talk a little bit about how you build these programs, whether it's for your clients or for yourself. Where do you start? Is it exercise selection? Are you thinking through the sets, the reps, the tempo? Where's your starting point? So I kind of assess what their goal is. Um, you know, I have, I have a client who he wanted to, he's really big into rock climbing. Mm. And so he wanted to get stronger. And honestly, we talked about, you know, getting stronger in your glutes and your hips and all of that. And he said, he said, you know, I, I work upper body a lot. He's like, I feel comfortable doing that on my own, but he's like, I really want to work on that. And he's like, I, he felt a little uncomfortable, like <laughs> as we're walking through these glue exercises, he's like, really? Like, I think <laughs> he's like, are we, we're going to do that. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to do it. And it's going to work. And so, you know, we kind of built with him, we were doing lower body three days a week. And, and so we just kind of would go through, you know, I, I do more, I like to break it up vector style wise. So I'll have like vertical movements. I'll have horizontal movements. I'll have lateral movements. Um, and so I, I break it up that way. If we're in a bind, I like to at least have, um, like a hinge movement. So like a hip thrust, anything like that. Um, I like to have a lunge movement in there. So we'll kind of build it up upon what their goal is. But as far as for like my, my glute clients that want to focus on that, um, I try to get them in working on glutes two to three times a week. And, and part of that can also depend on their recovery genetically. Some people can go in and do hip, like heavy hip thrusts and be like, I feel great because their recovery genetically is on point. But um, some people, they can look at 400 pounds and be sore. So it just kind of depends. So we kind of talk that through. And, um, you know, I, I kind of listen to, especially some of the guys, like, you know, they want to make sure they're getting their squats in. They want to make sure they're getting their, um, you know, so whatever movements they feel comfortable with. And then we'll throw in like the cable abductions. They may feel silly doing that, but you know what? I've had, I have one client who was like, you know, the other day I was in the mirror and my girlfriend was like, dang, like your butt's gotten huge. And like, <laughs> it's all, it's all those movements. <laughs> That's awesome. And That's the movement awesome. that you feel uncomfortable doing, um, that's what's, that's, what's doing it. So, so yeah, so I, I program in, um, you know, what I feel like depending on their goals, but then also 
you know, I have certain, like I like to do a third, um, as far as like the exercises, I'll do those different vectors, horizontal yeah. or, you know, vertical, um, abduction. That can so well, that's the thing. I mean, you got to train when you have a joint, you have to train it in that 360 yeah. degrees, right? You got to think about the musculature and how it works. I remember something Louis Simmons, who started Westside Barbell, um, which Westside has pumped out the, the most world record holders of any other gym in the world in powerlifting. And he says, you've got to think about the, the each joint in a 360 degree fashion. And you've got to train all of these spatial exercises. So like you're talking about these kickbacks with the cables, mm -hmm. super important because you're developing so many different parts of the muscle that will then help you with your deadlifts, your hip thrusts, or your squats. It's going to support everything else. Right. So I'd love that you're, that you're talking about uh, training all of the different vectors and making sure that you're hitting each one of those areas. And I will say for a lot of people, if they don't know what to do, hire a coach because it just, I, I never do my own taxes. I don't want to learn the tax code. I don't want to learn the law. I'm going to, I want somebody else to do my taxes for me. And it's the same thing with training. Let's shift gears for just a second um, and jump into a little bit more of your story. You've had to overcome a lot on this journey. And I think it's part of what sparked you on the journey, right? Uh, getting diagnosed with diabetes, Hashimoto's. Talk a little bit about what that has been like to get diagnosed and then to go on this health journey of figuring out how do I now live with type one diabetes? How do I live with Hashimoto's? How do I live with celiac? Yeah. So it, yeah, it's been quite, quite the journey. Um, yeah, I was 14 when I was diagnosed with type one and Hashimoto's and lucky for, well, not so lucky for her, but lucky for me, my cousin who were best friends, uh, she's almost exactly a year older than me. She was diagnosed actually the year before I was, um, oh, wow. at the age of 14. Mm. So I had had about a year to get familiar with diabetes. We knew nothing about it before, you know? And so, um, basically her living at my house and me living at her house, I got very familiar with it, which for me was such a blessing and so helpful because otherwise, if, if you don't, if you don't know, it is a complete lifestyle, like everything changes. Absolutely. You yeah. yeah. You can't just, um, you know, grab a quick snack. You can't just, you're constantly thinking, okay, well, what's my blood sugar at? How is this going to affect my blood sugar? Um, you know, there's so many different things that you're thinking about. And so watching her struggle and go through that actually really helped prepare me for that. Um, I feel bad. Like I wish I could trade places with her and could have been the first to be diagnosed so that she didn't have to be the one going through it alone. But, but she was really there for me. And so, um, having her was, was huge. And then I had a really good support system at home. My parents, you know, were so amazing. And, um, you know, they, when, when you're sick and you don't know that you have type one, you, you know, you're, you're losing all this weight. You're, you're so sick. You're, you know, wanting to eat everything and so thirsty. And I remember I'd make like this big old jug of like crystal light and I would drink it until I would throw up and then I would need to drink more. And, wow. and it was like this never ending cycle. And so 
you know, having like such a good support system and stuff was, was huge for me. And then like taking the time to really learn about the disease, study it, you know, be there for me and the ups and the downs and the good and the bad and everything. So that really helped. And having my cousin was huge. And then, um, it is hard as like a teenager because, you know, once you start taking insulin as a diabetic, it, you put weight on, you know, you get to, to a healthy weight, but it can make you gain some weight and stuff, especially for being unhealthy for so long, you know? Mm. And so that was hard mentally, um, playing sports helped. And then when I got, let's see, I went to Idaho and I decided like I was, I totally had burnout. Like, I'm like, I'm so tired of dealing with this. I'm tired of people telling me like, I can't eat that. Or, um, did you get diabetes from eating too much sugar? Like as a teenager, like now I just laugh about it and I love educating people. But back then it was like embarrassing and I I didn't want to be different than everybody else. And people being like, Oh, she's giving herself a shot. Like you, you know, like it just, it messes with you. So those are I tough years. We don't yeah, want to be different. Yeah. That time. Yeah. Even if nothing is going wrong, even if nothing is going on with you, those yeah. are tough years. So I yeah. totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, even if nothing's going wrong, you think something's going wrong. Right. During those years. right. Yeah. And it's just so awkward anyways. And so yeah. Yeah. I went out to college and I'm like, oh, like, I don't really have my parents like check, like they would check on me, but for, you know, I was a I was States away. So I'd be like, yeah, my blood sugar's great, mom. Yeah. I'm doing awesome. And, and then I started like losing weight from not like, I would kind of stop taking insulin or I wouldn't wear my insulin pump because I, it wouldn't put stress or you could see it and I didn't like it showing. Mm. And then when you don't take insulin, you know, you, you are going to lose weight. And so I started like, people would be like, wow, are you losing weight? Like you look really good. And, and so that would kind of get to me and I'd be like, well, you know, if I have any problems, I'll be like 90 years old, if I lose my vision or if I lose a leg, cause you always have people for some reason, they have to tell you like, oh, my grandma has diabetes and she lost her leg. It's like, thanks. <laughs> like, how yeah. Do you- yeah. Cool. Or my grandpa died of diabetes. Thanks. Like, thanks for the positive reinforcement. Yeah. Or I'd rather die than deal with that. It's like, yeah. no, you wouldn't. But, and so I, I just kind of felt normal because you couldn't, you couldn't see it on me or, you know, I wouldn't have to stop and be like, oh, I have to check my blood sugar. I wouldn't go low and get really shaky and have to stop what I was doing. And, and I kind of got this fear of going too low because I had heard a story of, and it happens of, a girl who went to sleep and went too low and died in her sleep. And so I was like, I was terrified of that. And then, so with all of that, I kind of ended up with, it's called, um, diabulimia, but it's an eating disorder that, um, type ones can get where they technically you're not, not eating food, but you're just not taking your insulin. Yeah. And so it, but pretty quickly you start feeling it because I mean, if your blood sugar's it's supposed to be between 80 and 120. Once you start getting above that, you start having side effects and you feel it. So, you know, I would go, essentially I went probably around two years with really without like taking care of myself or without regularly being on insulin. And, you know, my blood sugar was between 800 and a thousand and which is, which is wow. really scary. I was in and out of the hospital. I was, I was that so literally sick. could cause you to die at, the, at that level. 
Yeah. Yeah. My doctor would, you know, I'd go to the hospital and they'd check my A1C, which is like the three month average of your blood sugars. And I'd be like, I don't know what's going on. I'm taking care of myself. And they're like, no, you're not (laughs) like your A1C is so high. And like, I don't, I don't know why, you know, just play dumb and there's nothing they can do. So they send you off and then you end up in the hospital again. And it was just this cycle, but I just didn't know how to get back on the right track with taking care of myself. And I, I just wanted to live in the moment and not worry about it. And, and so I just kind of kept living that way in and out of the hospital. And, and then I ended up, um, going, I was out in Hawaii and, and that's when I got like so sick. And so that's when, um, I think from not taking care of my diabetes, that's when my celiacs, you know, cause we have one autoimmune disease you're more likely to get others. And I'd already had Hashimoto's and type one. So I think that's when the onset of celiacs hit. And so I'm definitely back and what, just what was it that broke you out of that though. Be a lot of people when they have an eating disorder, di- diabulimia is diagnosed, or I mean, it kind of sits in that eating disorder range, right? right. What was it that there's people that have eating disorders, there's something that triggers them to start to get help at some point. There has to be a moment. What was it for you? So for me, it wasn't my doctors scaring me and saying, if you keep this up, you're going to die. Because in my mind, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm 19, 20 years old. I'm not, you know, when I'm 90 years old, sure. Maybe I'll lose my vision. So too far down the road to care about. Yeah. And I, I, it wasn't, nobody could tell me, you know, and, and so what it really was, was that I ended up coming here to Utah and I still wasn't taking care of myself and my poor, poor parents, they could tell, but there was something wrong, but you know, they could only say so much and do so much. And I was young and they couldn't force me to do anything. So they were just probably watching me wither away, which as a mom now, I'm like, I feel like I apologize all the time still. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so what happened was I was actually on the, I was on a date with my now husband and, you know, I, he had actually just lost his dad. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I was like, I, and I hadn't told him, I, I had told him I was diabetic or whatnot, but didn't really get into details. And I was like, uh, I just I was like, just, you know, I'm sick. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, mm, no, I'm, I'm really sick. Like I'm not taking care of myself. I'm in and out of the hospital. You know, I, I'm not doing well. And so he basically just was like, I just lost my dad. I can't lose someone else that I care about. And so we just, you know, he just let me talk and talk and talk all my fears. Why, I was where I was at, what I was afraid to get back to. And I told him, and I was like, I was like, I'm going to like, if I get back on, you know, I'm going to put on all this weight. And he's like, I don't care. Like, I want you to be here. I'm not worried about that. But you know, that was part of it was the whole weight aspect of it was in my mind, like a big part of it. And so, and so really with him, like, he's the one who really helped me realize like, if I want to have a family, if I want to live a full life, if I want to get married and travel and do all these things, like I need to take care of myself. That's not, you know? And so I really was probably a week away from slipping into a coma and I probably wouldn't have made it. And so, 
Yeah. That's what really, and it was hard. I mean, it wasn't like an instant switch. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to put my pump back on and get back to it and stuff. It, it took a lot of time and a lot of talking and a lot of therapy and just trying to, you know, if I wanted to take it off, I'd call my mom or my dad or my husband. And, and so, yeah, it, it was, but yeah, it, it was a crazy easy time but I learned a lot that's the biggest thing is I definitely learned a lot yeah we talk about these things as eating disorders and I'm not really sure that that's the best way to define it from my experience because it's uh it's such a mental battle yeah. Yeah, I recall one time I, and your story reminds me of this the this idea this concept that really you change through love that when other people are around they love you they support you and you get to a point where you say you know what I love life and I've got things that I want to accomplish. And you start to then see all of these things that you want to do out of love for life and out of love for the future and out of love for yourself or others, then you start to change. I remember one time I had a client that we had been working together for a year and a half, two years, and she wanted to run multiple marathons and she kept getting injured and couldn't figure it out. And one day I was on a flight to another um, state and I had I had all of my pictures. I, I take pictures not just to see like body composition changes, but uh, skeletal, musculoskeletal changes and figure out what the problems were. And I would draw these lines to see what the angle was on the hips and the ribs and whatnot. And, um, and, and I'm studying and I pull up a book and I look at the picture and I'm like, holy cow, my client has what was would be diagnosed as functional scoliosis. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, why? We're doing this exercise, we're doing all of that, and something clicks. Well, if she's purging on a regular basis, that would cause the muscles on this side to contract more, and that would probably be causing this functional scoliosis. It was a theory, right? And so the next day I got back in town and I sat down with her and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I need to ask you a couple of questions based on a theory or hypothesis that I have. Have you ever eaten and then purged afterwards? And boom, that set the waterworks. And she said, Steve, I've been doing it for years. I've had bulimia for years and I've never told anybody. And that was the point where as soon as the cat was out of the bag, she said, I want to run. I want to live. I want to do all of these things. And I said, you won't be able to do it doing what you're doing right now. We got to get you some help. And there was no fighting. There was no argument from that moment forward. I said, we're scaling back your training. You're not paying me the money. You're taking that money and you're putting it towards your psychologist. You're putting it towards your dietitian to help you to teach you how to eat properly. And between the psychologist and the dietitian, we're going to get you moving in the right direction. Now, she went out and actually got a second job so that she could pay for me, the psychologist and the dietitian. Wow. And about fast forward about five years, one of the most beautiful moments that I'd ever experienced. I was running a relay race in a marathon and she had run the whole marathon. I didn't know she was going to be there. She came up to me, tears in her eyes and said, I just finished my first, mar first marathon. We had lost track because I had moved states and came back. And I still, to this day, your story resonates with me because we change out of love. We change when other people love us and we change when we love life and we want to change things in life. And I think, uh, you know, your husband's love, 
your parents' love and your love for life is what caused this change. So thanks for sharing that. I mean, how cool is that? It, I, you, you just proved another theory that I have, <laughs> that we truly change through love. Um, it's not an easy thing to make some of these adjustments with diabetes, with Hashimoto's, with, all, with celiac. Talk about how you've adapted and what your lifestyle looks like. Um, how do you eat? How do you move? How do you, how do you, um, you know, what, what, what's the lifestyle? It's got to be very detailed, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so um, eating wise, you know, I do have to be gluten free, which mm -hmm. um, these days, thanks to like the gluten free fads and stuff is a lot easier than it was, you much, know, much easier, years yeah. ago. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I try to, there's a lot of diabetics that can, that do the whole low carb thing and Sure. That works for them, but with my training and the weight that I'm lifting, carbs are one of my best friends. So yeah. Yeah. I eat a lot of carbs, which a lot of doctors, you know, for diabetics, it's not the best, but I'm able to keep my blood sugar in range. And that's what works for me, I think, because I am so active and um, I'm just able to keep my sugars down and in a really healthy range and stuff. So eating wise, yeah, I. I get creative and stuff. I do love, I love bread. And so you got to get creative with gluten-free breads and that kind of stuff. And then, um, moving, I mean, I, my two little kiddos keep me pretty active. And so I love running around with them, my daughter, and she's turning eight. And our favorite thing is we will take, we have 150 pound Newfoundland. And so mm. he, he's, so fun. And so we'll take, um, um, you know, rain, sun, snow, any of it, we'll take him on a walk because he loves the snow. And so, and so that's kind of our little time and, um, you know, we'll have the funniest conversations and I love our one-on-one -on -one time, but it's when we're moving and active and I love showing my kids that how important it is, you know, how important it is to be active. And we'll, we'll talk about nutrition and my kids probably know more about diabetes and celiac and all these different things that, you know, a five and seven-year-old shouldn't know about. And, um, but you know, they, they ask me questions and I, and I want to educate them on it. And I want them to understand that, you know, I don't only move because I have diabetes, but I move because it keeps me healthy and it keeps, you know, my heart healthy. It keeps. And so we have a lot of conversations about that. And especially with my daughter, like, I mean, you'd be surprised even at seven, how they, they hear people comment about their bodies and they, they like see things on TV and these shows that they're watching. And, and so, you know, I always try to make sure we have conversations about that. And luckily, you know, my parents were very, um, all about self-love and just loving yourself no matter what, and no matter what size and that kind of stuff. And so I, I try to make sure she never hears me say anything negative about myself, um, as far as that goes. And, and so I just teach her like not bad and good foods, but healthy foods and foods that, you know, are fun to eat, but aren't great for our nutrition, but it's okay. If we're going to the movies or out to dinner, yeah. we have a yeah. treat. Great. We'll eat that. And so it's very um, healthy for kids to learn that it's very healthy for yeah. adults to learn that there are yeah. no good and bad foods. 
There's yeah. foods that are more nutrient dense, right? I mean, there's foods that have got more minerals and vitamins in them, and that's great. Yes. But uh, man, over the weekend, my wife found this new recipe for baked donuts. Yeah. I can't count the number of donuts I pounded over the weekend. And okay. I don't, I don't know how many vitamins or minerals or how much fiber or protein or whatever else was in it, but uh, man, that that shit made me happy. Oh, it makes you so happy. That's all I care about. Yeah. And baking cookies, my kids and I, we love to do that. And some of my favorite memories are making cookies with my kids and yeah, they're full of sugar and, you know, have a cup of white and a cup of Brown and what else. And, but you know what, we're having a great time and we can sit and we can eat together and sit around the table and actually spend quality time together, which is like the biggest thing for me. So yeah, I just try to make sure they're conscious of it's not bad or good food, but just what's healthy and what's, you know, fun foods. We call them fun foods. And yeah, it's great. And so, um, and the yeah. movement too. I mean, I, I know uh, there's been several times where I'm in the gym on Sunday and I look over and, uh, you're finishing up a training session or you're getting there for a training session. And then you and your daughter are up playing, uh, playing on the basketball court. Yeah. Not necessarily basketball, but you're throwing the ball back and forth or you're doing lunges together or whatever it is. And it looks fun. Yeah. And I think that's a big piece. You know, have yeah. fun, make movement fun with the kids. Yeah. And she loves doing, we'll do little mommy daughter workouts together. And then yeah, that's cool. you know, if my son comes, he loves like, if he's, if he's good and sits, you know, on the couch, then he can go have some fun with the punching bag after, or, you that's know, awesome. do something. So, so it's important to them. And I think, um, you know, seeing me, especially with my different autoimmune diseases and, you know, seeing other people who have, can have the same issues, it can go either way. It it just really comes down to how you take care of yourself and what, I mean, what you want your life to look like. And, and not everyone has the option. Like some people it's out of their control, but right now I am the one in control and it all comes down to me. And so you know, I, I want to be there for my kids and I want to move with them. I want to go to Disneyland. We like, we love doing that kind of stuff. And so it's important. My health is important. And my kids, you know, it's hard having a conversation with a, a, I think he was two, maybe almost three, like, okay, if daddy's at work and mommy can't wake up, you have to teach them to dial 911 and you have to teach them all these things. And it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to think about that kind of stuff but there's that side of it too. It's like, you know, they kind of have to grow up a little bit quicker too, because that that could happen. And a two or three-year-old may save your life because of that. And so, yeah, it's just. That's a beautiful thing though, to teach kids the the full, the full spectrum of the health and, uh, and, and bring in, you know, what the challenges that you have in life and teaching the kids that. So it's not just about being a trainer. It's not just about being fit and, uh, having your own personal goals, but it's about uh, expanding that perspective, showing the love, teaching the education, uh, educational points to the kids and making sure that you pass it on to future generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful story. Well, Shelby, we are coming up close to our time. Uh, we wanna jump into the rapid fire portion of the uh, episode. Uh, so the way that we do this the rapid fire is where we'll ask a question. And so in one word or one sentence, What's your gut reaction to these uh, to these questions? So are you ready for the rapid fire? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. So if you could go back and 10 years ago, give your former self advice, 
what would push your evolution forward? Oh gosh, I would say after the story you just tell us, this should be a good answer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think in the shortest way, look at the big picture is mm. is the biggest thing I could tell myself. Take some That's time actually a great answer. Picture. That's a beautiful answer. Yeah. Yeah. As you've evolved, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Um, that carbs are the enemy. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Especially in our low carb society today. Yeah. They do work really well for a lot of people. All those games, um, maybe they'll, they'll help. Yeah. Are there habits, routines, or rituals that you use to continually progress? I think just uh, to never stop believing in myself and always having a goal. Mm, powerful. Final one on the rapid fire. We never stop evolving. What do you do to show compassion to yourself along the way? Mm, I think just some me time, some self-love, some what? Well, for me, I feel like, well, this is a long answer. This is a rapid, sorry. As a mom, you're always giving, 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 giving and making sure everything's, everyone's okay. So I think just taking time for yourself and really making sure you're okay and mm. what you need to do to make sure that you're okay. So that you was- only fill others' cups up if you <laughs> have it yourself. Well, yeah. uh, that ends the rapid fire. So our final question is a little bit longer one. Yeah. Um, so you can pontificate as much as you want on this one. At Evolve, we believe that people evolve their lives by stacking one simple habit on top of another. It doesn't have to be hard, just consistent. So what is the most important habit that you want our listeners to build? I think just doing, just getting up and doing it. I think whether that's just going to the gym, whether you don't have a plan in that moment or you're feeling insecure, just go. If you know you, you set a goal to wake up in the morning and walk, and it's cold outside, you're never going to regret doing it. You may suck in the moment and you may be pissed off the whole time, but just do it. And you'll not only will it help you. I mean, obviously there's so many benefits to it, but mentally you're going to be like, well, I did it. You know, I, I didn't just lay in bed and then hit snooze and dang, I can't like crap. There's, I guess there's tomorrow, but just doing it like starting now and just getting in that habit and just doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. I've never regretted any workout that I've started. Right. I, I look back and even if I was exhausted, I was tired and I had to cut the workout short. I never regretted, regretted starting it. So great, great, simple habit. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest Shelby Castleton and my co-host W. Miles Riley for joining us. We've had a great conversation today, and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. Uh, Shelby, you've, you have shared some amazing wisdom with us tonight, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that want to train with you, that want to know your secrets to glute training and how you juggle this detailed uh, life that you have. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and or follow your personal evolution? Yeah, so um, Instagram, I at Shelby Castleton. Um, I 
don't have my fitness one. I'm redoing it. So I will soon have that, but I'll have that linked on. And then I did just want to give out a quick, if you, for Instagram, if you want some really good trainers for glute training to follow that aren't just influencers that aren't gonna like these guys are legit so brett Contreras, he is he is amazing i love him so much um paul carter is great mark carroll is great um aiden gazi is is a good one too he's he's Mm, a laugh um he calls himself the glute guru some of his stuff is a little like okay but when you get down to it he's, he's really good too so those are just four of my favorites so i know it's easy to be like well who really knows their stuff or is this just an influencer wanting money i don't know so anyways just thought i'd throw them out what an amazing thing miles i think that's the first time in the history of the podcast and i'm not even sure what episode this is going to be but we're close to 50 episodes of interviewing people that we've actually had a guest that has the humility to not only put their stuff out there, but to call out for other people that they that they follow. That's amazing to me. Yeah, Very that's cool. a, it's a, a great level of security. Yes, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Shelby. And remember folks, it does take time and consistency for you to evolve, but first you have to disrupt. But now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. Thank you for listening to the Evolve Podcast. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve.